0: You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, uh, we're uh, doing part five of the Impossible series. I've uh, I did part four last week, of course, and I, I think I said that it was the end of it. But uh, often, if I say I'm at the end of a series, it's probably not the case. So it's okay. Uh, there was a little bit more that had got put on my heart for us for today. And if you're taking notes, the the title, subtitle is Miracle Moment, Miracle Moment. And uh, through this series, we've looked at, uh, of all the things we've looked at, we've looked at the subject of faith, uh, looked at not worrying the first week and uh, the power of of God's promises and how God fulfills his promises like he did to Abraham and and Sarah. Uh, And God told them this in Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for God? Uh, And that's been the basis of this as we really connected with the principle of faith. Uh, Last week, I talked about obedience and the importance of obedience and faith. Faith is more than just what I believe about God. It's more than just information I agree with. It's actually my response to God's word uh, and and really experiencing all that God has for my life. Uh, The Bible says, the willing and obedient eat the good of the land. So there's so much God has for all of us. Uh, And when I give my yes to Jesus, it positions me to experience what he wants to do. Uh, Today, we're I'm going to look at what Romans says of the story of Abraham and Sarah in connection to faith, uh, and we're going to talk about really the the miraculous hand of God at work in our lives. Romans chapter four. Verses 16 and 17, uh, just to set some quick context for this, uh, Romans here is talking about uh, the difference, the the kind of contrast between two approaches to God. One rooted in the old covenant and in uh, what the Bible calls the law of Moses, the law, which was God coming on Mount Sinai and giving the Ten Commandments and and the other laws to to govern and and, uh, kind of really introduce himself, but also to declare to Israel what it meant to be a nation and a people set apart for God. One of the things we find in Romans and other places in the New Testament is the law revealed something. It was given uh, not to not to even make us right because it couldn't make us right with God by itself. But it actually revealed our need to be right with God. Uh, that it revealed the condition of sin. And the other the other side of this is the response of faith. And and Romans four here holds up Abraham as example as a father of faith for us to follow in his example. Uh, but I want to look at this Romans four sixteen and seventeen. Therefore, it is a faith that is being made right with God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, where we receive righteousness through the, the, through what Jesus did, that it might be according to grace. We, we didn't earn it. God provided it. Uh, so the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, that is the Jews and the Israelites and those of the old covenant, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham. That's for all of us who come to faith in Jesus, put our faith in God. And here's what it describes about Abraham. Here's how it defines the faith of Abraham. And I think defines a lot of what faith is to be in our lives, especially when it comes to the subject of miracles. Here's what it says of Abraham. It says that in the presence of him who he believed, talking about God, Abraham believed God, and he did it in God's presence. And this is important because faith is not something you have to work up in the presence of God. Faith is not something I have to try to generate in God's presence. That's why it's important to be in this atmosphere and in an environment of prayer, in an environment of worship. Every time I draw near to Jesus, I don't have to try to figure out, do I have enough faith? Faith is the overflow of my response to God because I've been in his presence. There's some things that you feel overwhelmed by today. If you would just get in the presence of God, it would change the way you see it. It would change the way you respond to it. In fact, it would cause, that's why the Bible calls worship magnifying God. You can't make God bigger, in case you're wondering. You can't make him stronger. You can't. But, 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 but when we magnify God, it, it it magnifies our faith, our view of God. It, it re- causes us to recognize that God is greater than any mountain we're facing in any circumstance we're against. The faith of Abraham in the presence of whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So if there's something that's dead in my life, if there's something that I think is over, I think is impossible, God specializes in working in things that man said it's over. (laughs) Things Things that people have written off, that we've shelved, we've said, that'll never change. God specializes in moving those mountains without even breaking a sweat. And just in case we think it's not even there, like maybe God's begun to put something in your heart that you think, I, there's no way I can do that. It's impossible. But God also calls those things that are not, that don't exist as though they did. The God who formed the heavens and the earth, the God who said light be and light came into existence, the God that formed you and I, that same God. Here's what it says, Psalm 77 about God. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? you know, it was easy for them in that time to look at the nations around them and even among their own people sometimes and they would see idols built and images of, of things made by human hands that man worshiped as gods. And it was easy for them to declare that our God is not like an image made with hands, but you know, we have substituted idols made with hands with other things we've put our trust in instead of God, even in our culture and in our nation. And anything that we put in the place of God in our lives can give us life back, but here's what we have to recognize. God's greater than anything else we put our trust in. When God's your foundation, when Jesus Christ and his word and his promises are the foundation of your life, you're not shaken by anything. He's your provider in any economy. He's your healer in any diagnosis. He's the answer. He's the source. He's the strength. He's the miracle worker and the way maker, as the song says. That's who your God is. And we oftentimes define what God can do by what we've seen before us. But what God, your God? Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You are the God who performs miracles miracles. You display your power among the peoples. I want to let you know today that God is not a God who did miracles, past tense, and stopped doing them. He's not a God who was very busy for a season of human history and then decided to take a really long vacation. And so I've got three points related to the subject of miracles. The first one is this. Number one, God isn't finished yet. God isn't finished yet. I would define miracles as God's intervention. God who formed the the universe that we live in, the world that we live in, who created us, the God who all of that, that God who, who, who created the natural laws and created the laws of physics, all the things that govern the world. When God intervenes in our life, and that could be what we define as a, as a big miracle, or it could just be any area in which God intervenes in my life. I would define that way. It's the supernatural hand and intervention of God. It's God at work in my life and yours. And God isn't finished in your life. He's not finished in your family. He's not finished in Mason City and in North Iowa. He's not finished in our nation. He's not finished in a world that's gone crazy, in a world that's, many times embrace darkness, and yet God has still a promise and a purpose for light. God still wants to see the lost become found. And God has a plan, and he's not finished yet. I've I've seen too many people told that their life was over. Too many people told their future is, is, is absolutely done. People told that Maybe it was their health, maybe it was their finance, maybe it was just their faith and their walk with God, and they, there was no hope for tomorrow, but I'm telling you, church, God isn't done yet. He's, he's not done yet. James chapter one, verse 17 says this about the miraculous hand of God, his intervention, and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So, 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 can I just say, if it's not good, it's probably not God. But every good and every perfect gift comes from Him. See, I've told you throughout this series that our faith is not in the how, how God's going to do it, how He's going to answer the prayer, fulfill the promise, but it's in the who, it's in the character and nature of God. And honestly, everything that God does in my life and yours is rooted in His nature, every good and every perfect gift. And while that's important for us to recognize, the second part of that verse I think is equally important, that there's no variation in God. Because I think we're used to people changing. I like it when it's good change. <laughs> but if we're honest, a lot of change isn't always good. And, 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 and so when we recognize that, there's this, this idea here. That that God is not like if there's somebody in your life, I do please do not point at them. If there's somebody in your life that's like an emotional roller coaster, don't point. And and you don't know which person you're talking to at that moment. Are they happy or are they not happy? Maybe it's you. Right, anyway. But God's not like that. You know, God has emotions. The Bible tells us he has emotions. But the difference between God and us is he's not controlled by them. But but God has no variation. Why that's important is when I approach God, I need to know who he is consistently. He's consistent. I don't have to wonder when I go to God in prayer. If I have Jesus in my life and I've received redemption and forgiveness, I can come boldly before the throne of grace because he's unchanging. He's always good. He's always faithful, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. Malachi 3, 6 says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. See, the Bible is a supernatural book given by a supernatural God who desires to empower you and me to do what we can't do on our own. Taking what what his hand upon our lives and, and adding, see, I can't be the parent I need to be without God's help. I can't do the things I need to do just in my relationship with Jesus. I need God's help. The law revealed man's sinfulness and man's condition. We needed something outside of ourselves. I've told you this before, but but you know I love to camp and I love to hike, and uh, you know whenever I've been lost hiking because it's happened a couple times, uh, it's usually because I thought I knew the way and I didn't. And I needed something outside of me to be my compass, to be my map, to be my guide. We have a world that is, is in the dark, is lost in the dark, because we need something outside of my feelings and outside of what I see and sometimes outside of what I've been told. Outside of culture to define, that sets the, the barometer, that's, that tells me what truth is so that I can find the direction. That's what God's word does. But the goal of the Bible is not just to know information about God, it's to know the person of God. The core of, of, of the Bible and the gospel, at the heart of the message of, of the Bible, is this. It's not some religious book that a, a, a spiritual person one day wrote some, some guru wrote some principles down so that, you know, uh, treat people nice and be a good person and, you know, follow the golden rule and you're good but it was actually at the core of our faith is a miracle. That one saying he's the son of God, didn't just do miracles, he was put to death, laid his life down on the cross, and then rose from the grave. Your faith is rooted in a miracle. We oftentimes, as in, in the Christian world and even in the church, have three approaches. I found three approaches to the idea of miracles. The first is that God stopped doing them, that maybe he did them once, and he did them in history, and he did them in Bible times, but, you know, things are more sophisticated now, and, and, and God doesn't do that stuff anymore. I, I remember in uh, my early relationship with God I, in college at ASU, I remember finding this book, and uh, I won't name the book, but it, it's, a, it's a well-known Bible reference book, and I open it up, and I'm, I turn to the book of Acts, which is all about the supernatural hand of God, and, and, and they gave an explanation for why God does, doesn't do the stuff anymore. And this is the age of the book. They said, well, the reason now is we have telegraphs and railroads. It'd be like us saying, we have the internet, we don't need the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what the church is to be, read the book of Acts. That's the church through all of history. Because our God doesn't change. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 8, the same yesterday, today, forever. So sometimes we think, well, God doesn't do any of that anymore. And sometimes we kind of try to find a middle road and, and, and we think, well, God's distant. Like he does miracles. He does stuff, but it's infrequent. And the reason we take either of those approaches is we look at circumstances and we define who God is, not based on his word, but by disappointment. By what we think didn't happen or the prayer that wasn't answered that we think wasn't answered. And we look at those things and we allow our view of God to be shaped by that instead of faith instead of the promise of God. That's why God's word has to be a foundation for what we believe, what we say, and how we live. That God's word creates a foundation that I can actually have faith that's bigger than my disappointment. I don't pray based on what I haven't seen. I pray based on what his word says he does. Did I give you the first point? I think I did. I don't remember. Point number two, I'll give you point number two. Um, what he does for one he'll do for anyone. What he does for one, he'll do for anyone. Do you know why I think, here's, here's my third approach. If, if the second's, well, God's infrequent, he's distant. That's not true. He's close. And he's actively engaged in the lives of his people. He's actively engaged in your life and mine. Now, does that mean that everything God does in my life has to be parting the Red Sea in some major, what I would consider a major miracle? no. Sometimes there's things I'm praying for, and in the waiting season, while I'm waiting for God to do it, God's more concerned about my character than my comfort. He's concerned about my growth instead of getting my way. I know none of us ever pray our way instead of... We, we, we pray for temporary relief from a problem, but, but here's the reality God is a God who answers, and God is a God who provides, and God is a God who does what he says he'll do. And, uh, you know, I think, honestly, I think the reason we have this problem in the religious world is because the devil hates miracles. He hates them. I know he hates them. He, he said, uh, "I just you know interacting this week with, with somebody they at a state they they God's doing something in their life they're getting baptized in their church this weekend, and they told a friend about it and when they told a friend who, who went to a, a, some different type of church and, and they told their pastor that, that this person's ever met that pastor called this, this, this one that's getting baptized this weekend and gave every religious reason why his denomination doesn't baptize that way and her baptism's not valid anymore and all these different things it's funny how religious demons like to talk people out of what God God's doing. And if you don't think there's religious demons, just, you'll see them. And, 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 you know, Jesus' strongest words were never for the prostitute, the tax collector, and the sinner. It was for the religious elite that kept people from the kingdom. And, and, and here's, here's what I found. One miracle is better than a thousand sermons. I've been doing this a long time. I love to preach the word, but what? But, Okay, so early in my walk with God is my, my I'm getting my my faith legs so to speak. You know I'm praying really spiritual prayers like God give me a good parking space at ASU. <laughs> well, let me let me <laughs> and you know but but and my faith was often rooted like God if you're there do this God if, and my my prayer life was shaped by still trying to figure out the question of Him but that's no longer has been the case since those times, because here's what I found. I've gone too far, I've seen God too much to ever wonder if he's there. Like it, it, nobody, a person with an experience always trumps a person with an argument, I'm just gonna tell you. The religious leaders come to, they, they come to this man, Jesus has healed him in John chapter nine, we won't turn there for time, but, but he heals this man who's been blind. And when he heals him, and the man's totally restored in his sight, the, the Pharisees get upset because Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, on Saturday, the day when no one should work. But somehow religion redefined that to be, instead of just resting, God can't even work. God can't even heal. And so this guy gets healed. They, they they bring him in. They bring in his parents who are afraid of getting canceled because cancel culture is not a new thing. It's always been around. They're afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue if they said that they they believe the miracle happened. And, uh, but they just say, you know, ask him. And and, and they ask the, the man, were you really blind? And he says, yes. And they say, well, it can't be God. It can't be a miracle because he healed on the Sabbath. This Jesus healed. He's a sinner. And this guy who has just had a brief encounter with Jesus, but it was enough. He doesn't have his theology figured out. He, doesn't, he hasn't gotten it all straight yet. He says, here's a, I don't know what you're saying, but here's what I do know. I was blind. Now I see. Jesus changed my life, turned it upside down in a moment. And and that's what happens in our life when we have an encounter that's personal and life changing. And in my life, that's what's something that 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 nobody's been able to ever talk me out of. Believe me, I had plenty of professors try. And, and, and I believe, you know, I believe in the intellectual side of our faith, the, the arguments of apologetics and the logic of our faith, that, that we have a creator who formed us, and we have a purpose in life, that we were made for eternity. And there's, there's I believe, all of those things, and, and the arguments for the resurrection of Jesus, the foundation of our faith, I, I believe in all of that. But for me, that reinforced what I already found when I was lost and I became found, when I was blind and I saw, when I experienced a miracle in my life because Jesus is real, he's alive, and he's not distant, he's close. I never gave you point two, did I? I did. Okay, what he'll do for one, he'll do for anyone. Here's what the Bible says. God shows personal favoritism to no man. My dad's got a great shirt. I told you guys about this. Uh, It's funny, but it's not theologically correct. Uh, It says, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) And and sometimes we think that, if we're honest, like we think God has favorite kids. Because we see God working in somebody else's life. Maybe even the very thing we've been praying for, they're getting the answer. And we wonder, why God? And, and, and we think that God has favorites. Like God picks and chooses. But here's what I know. What God will do for one, he'll do for anyone. Jesus didn't die for the spiritual elite. He came for the sinner. He came for the broken. He came for all of us. And he makes his promises available. And that also goes all the way back to the word. What God did for one, he'll do for anyone. If God restored, Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, forever. That's the basis. That's the foundation. Romans 2.11 says the same thing. God does not show favoritism. So then what precedes a miracle in my life? That's the question I would ask. That's what I want to know. If if, if it's available for anyone, God working in our lives is free for anyone, then what is the prerequisite? I can't say that again. Say it again. Prerequisite. What's What's the starting? What's the initiator then? Well, I think it's faith. And here's why I think it's faith. I've, I've asked this question for years of, of friends of mine who are from other nations and have seen things that, that I've only talked about and, and I've seen miracles, but they, they're like having them every week and I'm like, what's going on with you guys? Like, why, why do we see more of that in that place than we do in the, the States or, or in whatever? And so we have these conversations and I've always asked that question I want to know. And, and I think this is This is huge. He he tells us Galatians three. Uh, turn there. Galatians three. We'll put it on the screen. Galatians three five and six. Um, what precedes miracles of my life? Now, this this passage is Paul again making largely the same argument that there's two approaches to God: the works of the law, and then faith. And for the purpose of our focus here, here's what he says. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you what does it mean to supply. That, that word's a powerful word. It, it literally, in, in Greek, it means to fully furnish every expense, to pay in full, to abundantly and generously supply what you need. What does he generously supply? Himself. We, we, we go, what's, what's the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure. You know, we didn't talk about that in my church. I, sorry. Um, the Holy Spirit is God. Period. So when God pours out his spirit in my life, he's giving himself. And if you've got God, you have everything you need. He supplies, not partially, not little, not, in fact, it actually says that God gives his spirit without measure. But but I love this. He says he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you. Like Paul doesn't even try to go, there's a God who works miracles, but you haven't seen it he anyway, actually references to talk about the importance of faith. He says, it happens in your midst. Here's why. Does he do it? That, that was normal for the church. It will be normal for the church again. Yeah. Does he do it by the works of the law? One approach. Or by the hearing of faith? So what's the hearing of faith? Well, that actually tells us, very next verse, just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. <laughs> Everything God does in my life, I told you this last week, I think I did, is, is from faith. It's, it's rooted to me receiving from God. The works of the law is me earning something to be made right. But, but faith is he's made me right through Jesus. And now I'm receiving by faith what he's provided. And, and so this is so important because here's what he tells them. God's doing all this among you. He's working, he's supplying his spirit, he's working miracles, but what's the basis? The hearing of faith. Just as Abraham did this, he believed God. There's a reason we're called Believers Church. <laughs> he believed God. He believed God. And I believe that it's important for all of us to respond. Faith is the most common denominator in, of every miracle I found in the Bible. That, that, that there was some presence of faith engaged. So, so let's, let's look at a story. Let me reread Romans 4 real quick. Romans 4, this is verse 18. Um, no, so 16, 17. It says, in the presence of him who he believed, God does two things, gives life to the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So Abraham, in response to this, this is his faith. He, contrary to hope, in hope believed. So that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. God gave him a promise he would have a son. He would have descendants from him, even though he had had no child, could not have a child. And not being weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body, which was already dead, since he was about 100 years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, nor did he waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced. That what God had promised, he was well able to perform. Third point is expect the impossible. My, my, my dad was a firefighter for don't know 30 plus years. And so backdraft was a big deal when I was a kid. Kidding. But, uh, and I remember seeing, you know, the, in, the, well, in the movie. But just, just, I'll just say this. So with fire... If you take oxygen, you cut off the oxygen supply to a fire, the fire goes out immediately. Fire requires oxygen. Faith requires expectation. Expectation is like the oxygen of your faith. It fuels your faith. And what often happens is we have faith, but we diminish, reduce, or even shut down our expectation. We stop praying big prayers we start letting our unbelief or what we see in the world around us or what we're feeling at the moment define how we pray, what we believe God for. Abraham didn't even consider his condition. And if he did look at it, he goes, that's not a factor because I've got a word from God. You know, I've 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 seen and experienced miracle after miracle, but my whole my life started with one. My mom was at 16 years old, was diagnosed with the worst case of endometriosis her doctor had ever seen, which prevented her from having children. She was on un- it was so bad, so severe, she couldn't have kids. But she had in her heart that she would have a child. In fact, she actually, of course, you know, the first part of the miracle was she began to carry me. God, God, God caused her to be able to have a child but it was gonna be a bad pregnancy according to her doctor. It was gonna be so bad, that they hospitalized her much earlier than my potential due date. They would send her home and then but she ended up on the last stretch, the last month I think, completely on bed rest, and was told that I would be born premature, I wouldn't be healthy, and in fact it was so bad a nurse one day, I think it was the devil dressed up as a nurse, but, uh, brought a healthy baby down to her room and said, this is what a healthy baby looks like, but your baby won't look like this. But but in the midst of that, long story short, my mom, who's a new believer, God gave her a promise. And it was a specific promise. It was actually through a, a word. And the word was, she would have a son. She didn't know, you know, there were, we weren't shooting blue and pink clouds of stuff back in the 80s. Um, and, and she, and the other word was, I'd be on my due date. And so she had a word from God. And she had to hold on to that. I mean, you've got to cling to the promise when you've got your own nurse coming and telling you that. And you've got every reason to expect that this is not going to work out. But good news, I was born on my due date, healthy. But you know what I believe? Faith has to grab hold of the promise of God. Faith has to grab hold of God's word, God's truth, in the midst of what you see, in the midst of what you feel. Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope, believed because he knew who he believed. And his confidence was in God. One last story, Luke chapter five, Luke chapter five. It's a familiar story for us, but it's one of my favorites in the Gospels. Jesus is teaching one day in verse 17. Here's what it says. Jesus is teaching in a house, and uh, I'll just read it to you. Now it happened on a certain day that as Jesus was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. They're experts, experts in God, but they're missing the person of Jesus. And they had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Samaria, and the power of the Lord was present to heal. I think it's Mark's gospel says they were all crammed into a house. And they're around Jesus, but most of who's around him are not people that were trusting and believing and learning from Jesus. No, they're, they're critics and they're cynics, and they're looking for every reason. These are the same people that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and they couldn't deny it, wanted to kill Lazarus. Imagine your heart is so hardened and you're so twisted by religious, uh, clinging to your religious tradition that you're willing to kill an actual miracle just to prove yourself right. And, And they're surrounding Jesus. But you know one thing about Jesus? While he uses... Miracles to bring the lost to him. In fact, some of us aren't seeing miracles because we're just focused on our own needs and we're not reaching the lost. I'm just gonna tell you. Create opportunities to see a miracle. You don't have to know. You just have to know, I was lost, I was found. I was blind, I see. Let me tell you about Jesus. You'll see God work. But you know what He he didn't do? Jesus never performed for the cynics those that came and said, well, let's see what you can do, Jesus. Prove yourself. Can I just tell you, he's still Lord. He doesn't have to prove himself to the cynics. In fact, he comes to the children. That's where faith starts. And so so the the room's full. But outside, there's four, four guys that have a friend who's paralyzed and and they want to bring him to Jesus so they carry him on a on a mat and they carry him to the house and they're trying to get in but the house is so full of cynics and critics that there's no room by the way the power of the Lord was what? present but nobody's receiving because faith is what receives what's present in the room it's Jesus. It's God's spirit. And they're, they're surrounding him, just like there's a power curtain going through that. We've got outlets along the wall. You don't benefit from that electricity until you plug in. Faith plugs into God. And, and so here's, here's what happens. They're sitting around and they're not getting anything. But these four men bring their friend and they go, we can't go through the front door, it's too full. And a lot of people would get discouraged and go, maybe next time, let's go back home. But these guys have an expectation. They're expecting the impossible. And you know what they do? They go to the roof, and I hope the homeowner had insurance. They start tearing through the rooftop to lower their friend to Jesus. They will do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. I wish we were like that. God, let make us a people that will do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. Because the world has a need. It has a heart need. And the need is only found in the Jesus that changed your life. And they tear through the roof, and it was the best day in church. The the pieces are falling, right? As Jesus is teaching a Bible study, and all of a sudden this guy gets lowered down, and Jesus says two things to him. I'm almost done. Two things. When he saw their faith, not even the man's faith, it doesn't say anything about his faith yet. When he saw their faith, that they had such an expectation of possible, he looks at the man, here's what he says Son, your sins are forgiven you. And everybody else around gets bent out of shape. How can he say that he forgives sins? That's only God. Well, he's letting them know I'm God. Jesus is God, fully man, fully God. He forgives this man's sins. And then he tells them, the second thing he says is, so that all you guys know that I have authority to forgive sins, which is easier? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. So he says, rise, take up your mat, get up and walk. This paralyzed man gets totally healed and he walks out of that place different than how he came in. He goes out the front door. But can I just tell you something? Can I tell you something about Jesus? That the greatest miracle he does in my life isn't just the moment that I couldn't walk, but I now could, that, that God did the miracle. The greatest miracle in my life and yours is the day he changed our heart. It's the day we receive forgiveness of sins. I'm asking you to stand to your feet. And I'm asking ask our prayer team to come to the front. Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the hope for our family. I I know people in this room who've experienced miracles. I, I know people who were told by their Pharisees, the experts, said your marriage is over. Said your kids are too far gone. Said you'll always be addicted. That that they were told by experts. But at the end of the day, there's only one opinion that matters. At the end of the day, there's only one word that matters. It's what my mom grabbed a hold of, it's what I've experienced, and it's what comes from God's word. What's impossible in your life today? I'm asking you to do this. If we could pray, I'm asking you to bow your heads, close your eyes so that you can make this personal. Because the greatest miracle, I believe, is when we were far from God and he brought us close through Jesus. When he, through his death and his resurrection, brought us to life because we were dead in our sin, running from God. That was me. I ran from God. I knew enough about God to know the truth, but I still wanted my own way. And I pushed God away. Maybe that's you today. You've been far from God. But you know what I love about God is his nature doesn't change. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus and he sent Jesus for you. And and today you have an opportunity While you may be far, you can come close and you can get to know the God I'm talking about. You can experience the promise of forgiveness. You can experience the promise of a future and a hope that comes from the God who made you. You find a purpose here on the earth, you find a home in heaven, That it all starts with a yes to Jesus. Not joining a religion no, it's it's a yes to Jesus. That's what faith begins with. Say, God, I put my trust in you. We need you, Jesus. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.